This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I am the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. I am glad you're here with me. Um, well, I, I apologize for last week. I, I didn't get my uh, information, not information, the recording done and sent to the radio station. I had completely lost track of what day it was. And, you know, I guess that sort of thing happens, but still, you know, got to get on top of things, got to get things done. But here we are, we're in the new year, and of course that means New Year resolutions. I'm all for New Year resolutions, I hope you are too. I hope you made a list of things that you want to do, of how you might make yourself better and grow further in the Lord and mature in Christ. And I want to start the year off with uh, the opening of Paul's letter to the Colossians. I love this letter. I love the things he says here. So I want to start, let's read. <clears throat> it's kind of a lengthy read, but um, I think it's good for us to hear. Chapter 1 of Paul's letter to the Colossians. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What a great opening. And every time I read this, uh, Colossians, the, the first chapter and part of two, I'm always, I'm always reminded of this story. I want to share this story with you. A preacher was walking down a country road one day, saw a young man struggling with this load of hay that had fallen off his cart, and, and the young man was all hot, he was sweaty, 
He looked upset, frantically working. So the preacher walked up, said, "Son, you you look hot. You look tired. Won't you come over here, sit with me for a moment, and uh, I'll give you a hand." No thanks, the young man said. My dad would not like that. Oh, come on now, the the preacher said. Everyone's entitled to a break. Come over here. Have a drink of water. You look parched. Again, the young man refused, saying his dad would be upset. So the the preacher, you know, began to lose his patience a little bit. And he said, you know, your father must be a real slave driver. Why don't you tell me where I can find him, and I'll give him a piece of my mind. Well, the young man replied, I'll do that as soon as we get him out from under the hay. You see, that young man knew what he had to do. There was a sense of urgency in his actions. He was driven, he was intent, and no one could sway him from his goal. But that didn't stop someone from trying, did it? The preacher had a faulty understanding of what was going on and convinced he was right. He did everything he could to persuade the young man to stop what he was doing. The congregation at Colossae had a similar problem. They were a driven church. They were a church that was seeking to please the Father. Paul commended them for their faith, their love, their hope. But apparently there was someone trying to convince them to stop what they were doing. Paul warns the members there in cha- over in chapter 2, verse 8, where he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. There were religious people trying to convince them to stop what they were doing. And Paul again urges them down in verse 18 of chapter 2, Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in you know, a whole bunch of other things, the basement and, and worship of angels and, st- and stuff like that. But why? Why did Paul feel it necessary to warn the Colossians about that kind of danger? Well, apparently some had become convinced, p- perhaps. Or maybe they've already been taken captive by some of the false thinking. Uh, maybe some have been disqualified at prize, or at least they were in danger of doing so. And so Paul warns them, be aware. <coughs> Excuse me. Be aware. Don't be swayed by worldly thinking. Don't stop doing what you've been doing. Now, Colossians is an intriguing letter. When we look at what Paul writes in those first few verses of the letter, there in verses 1 through 8, that the first thing Paul does is tell them how proud he is of their faith and loyalty to Jesus. He marvels at how much Jesus has changed their lives and how impressed he is. And then over the next several paragraphs, Paul launches into this long description of what Jesus has done for us as Christians, of who Jesus is, and about the mystery of God's love that he has given to us through Jesus. But why? Why why would Paul start a letter of warning about false teachings by focusing on Jesus. The Galatian letter, he doesn't do that. Some of his other letters, he may give a little prayer of thanksgiving to them, but then he goes right into it. 
why focus on the changes Jesus had brought to their lives and then focus on the theology of who Jesus is and what he's done? I think it's because if you forget, if you forget about who Jesus is, if you forget about what Jesus has done, if you forget about the wonder of the mystery of the love of God displayed by the giving of his son, you're always going to be an easy target. You're always going to be in danger of being easily swayed from your faith. And so, Paul starts out his letter to the Colossians by having the Christians there see what God has done for us through Jesus. And he starts out by pointing out the change that has taken place in our lives. It's almost like he's saying, don't you realize what Jesus has done in you? Verses 4 and 5, Paul was saying, your faith in Jesus has changed you. And it has driven you. We've even heard of the change in you, he's saying. And then, Paul says, just in case you've forgotten why this has happened, let me remind you there in verses 13 and 14, he's rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Man, don't forget. Don't forget. In other words, you're the kind of people you are because God has moved you. You have the kind of hope and joy and love in your lives that you do because God has moved you out of the old neighborhood and he's moved you out of your old world. All the shame, all the guilt, all the darkness of life, all gone. You know, it's kind of like, you know, say you you grew up in the worst part of town, the worst neighborhood where there's crime, there's gun violence, there's drugs and everything, and you just can't go outside. You're scared whenever you have to pull out of your garage and, and drive drive off to work because you never know what's going to happen. Or when you come home, are, they, are you going to get mugged? Are you going to get carjacked? What's going to happen? Let's say you're living there your whole life, and then when you get in your upper 20s, you start making more money, you move out of that neighborhood to a neighborhood where you don't have that. People mow their lawns outside. They wave, and they help you with things, and they're kind, and they're gentle. It changes everything, doesn't it? Your whole life changes, doesn't it? You begin to see things differently when you live in a life like that. <clears throat> you and I have been brought into the kingdom of the Son that God loves. And that changes our lifestyle. It changes our entire approach to living. Our perspective changes. As one preacher wrote, before I, became, uh, before I came to Christ, I practiced sin and committed you know, some acts of righteousness. But now... Now I practice righteousness, and in true, I do commit some acts of sin. I've been moved to a new neighborhood, he's saying. I used to do good things once in a while, but I lived a sin-filled life. Now I you know, do, I've stumbled now and again. I, I commit sins periodically, but I live as a man devoted to righteousness. I've been moved. I've been changed. I'm different. Why? Because Jesus moved me, and he's changed me. The danger for us is that we do forget 
once in a while what we have. The newness wears off of our excitement in Christ, and our attention drifts away. Do you ever, anyone out there ever buy a home, your, your very first home, if you have, maybe, do you remember that first time you moved into that, that house? I remember the first house I bought. It was, oh, I was so excited. It was our home. Boy, was Jenny and I, we were so excited. First home, how exciting. I loved it. I loved the, the living room. I loved the dining room. I loved the kitchen. I loved going upstairs. I loved all the rooms. I was so excited. Man, everything was perfect. Because I just had all these great, wonderful thoughts in my mind of what we were going to do with that house. But then, after a couple of months, maybe a couple of years, the newness wears off. You begin to notice things that you've never seen before. And you start to become disenchanted, right? Kitchen is no longer large enough. There's a musty smell in all the rooms. You can't get rid of it. Light switches don't work right. On and on and on. All the things begin to change. The newness wears off. And you get bored with what you had. And you wish you had something more than the house offered. You know, uh, for Christmas, I got my kids building blocks. And when they opened them up on Christmas Day, oh, they were so excited. They were building with them. They were amazing. I remember as a kid having them and how awesome it was. And then, of course, after the day of Christmas, we throw all the wrapping paper away. We put all the new toys away. And a couple of days go by, and they're playing, and they're getting a little bored with stuff. I said, hey, kids, why don't you pull out those blocks? Oh, no, Dad, we don't want to do that. A couple more days go by, and they're bored with other things. I said, hey, guys, let's pull out those blocks, and let's build some stuff. No, Dad, we don't want to do that, they say. And I just don't understand. I couldn't understand. Why don't they want to play with it? They were—they seemed like they enjoyed it and they were excited about it in the beginning. What's changed? And then a couple of days ago, you know, I decided, you know what? I'm not going to ask if they want to play with that. I'm just going to pull out these blocks and I'm going to play with them. So that's what I did. I pulled out the big bin of, of blocks out to the living room and kids were standing, uh, sitting on the couches, doing other things, watching me. I dump out the box and I, I begin to build this big castle. It looked awesome. I was enjoying it. And before too long, they were helping me build on it. And they were building their own. And I walked away. And Jenny and I had some friends over. We began to play a game on the table. And I even took a picture because they were building some amazing things with it. And they were loving it. And the next day, they wanted to play with them again. And then the next, and the next, and the next. And all of a sudden, they wanted to play with them every day. Why? They had forgotten. How fun it can be. They forgot. And that can happen in our Christian life. The newness wears off. And next thing we know, we start talking the way we used to talk. After a while, we find ourselves living back in the old neighborhood. We find ourselves living like our own sinful, selfish selves. We can find... You know, we, we, we can find ourselves living in that uh, uh, old way, and we can find ourselves praying, but only once in a while. Maybe we are studying God's Word, but only once in a while. And before too long, we even start giving up on those things. And that is what can happen to us if we take our eyes off Jesus and we forget. If we forget 
what he has done for us. Back in the Old Testament, we're told how God freed Israel from slavery in Egypt. Remember that? They were oppressed. Their lives were miserable. They were slaves. They hated it for hundreds of years. They were pleading to God to get them out of the situation and pleading and pleading and pleading. And then finally, one day, God sends Moses, their savior, right, to lead them out of out of Egypt. And he goes to Pharaoh, let my, the Lord God says, let my people go. Pharaoh won't do it. So here comes the plagues, and the, the Israelites see the power of God as he overtakes uh, all the gods of, of Egypt and over Pharaoh. Finally, they are let go, and they're on their way. They're rejoicing, and they come to the, reed, the Sea of Reeds. Oh, no, we're going to die. But then God separates the waters, and they walk across the dry land, and they watch God bring that water down on the army of, uh, of the Egyptians. How amazing. And it's not too long after all those things. I, just months. Only if months go by. That's it. And they forget. It says in Numbers chapter 11, verses 4 through 6, The rabble who were among them had greedy desires, and also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt, the cucumbers, and the melons, and the leeks, and the onions, and the garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at except this manna. Are you kidding me? Were these people crazy? Were they ignorant? Had they forgotten what life had been like as slaves in Egypt? Had they forgotten the death and the despair that they had to endure? Had they forgotten what God had done for them? Yeah, they had. They forgot. And because they forgot, they longed for the way life used to be when they were slaves, back when they were in bondage, back when there was no hope, no joy, no future in their lives. They forgot. And because they forgot... They were in danger of going back to the slavery they once known. If we forget what Jesus has done for us, we can be in danger as well. <clears throat> in a book titled Improving Your Serve, and he's not talking about serving in tennis, but serving, improving your serve, Man makes this observation. I want to read it to you. <clears throat> he writes, Think of yourself as living in an apartment house. You live there under a landlord who has made your life miserable. He charges you an exorbitant amount of rent. When you can't pay, he loans you money at a fearful rate of interest just to get you even further into his debt. He barges into your apartment at all hours of the day and night. He wrecks and dirties the place up. And then, then, he charges you extra for not maintaining the premises. Your life is miserable. But then, then comes someone who says, I've taken over this apartment house. I've purchased it. You can live here as long as you like, free. The rent is paid up. 
I'm going to be living here with you in the manager's apartment. What a joy, right? You're saved. You are delivered out of the clutches of the old landlord. But what happens? Not, not much time goes by. You hardly have time to rejoice in your newfound freedom when knock comes at the door. There he is. It's the old landlord. He's mean. He's glowering. He's demanding as ever. And he's come for the rent, he says. What do you do? Do you pay him? Of course not. Do you go out and pop him in the nose? No, he's bigger than you are. You can't do that. You confidently tell him, you'll have to take that up with the new landlord. Oh, he may bellow. He may threaten, but you just quietly tell him, take it up with the new landlord. And if he comes back a dozen times with all sorts of threats and arguments, waving legal-looking documents in your face, you simply tell him, once again, take it up with the new landlord. And in the end, he has to. He knows it. He just hopes that he can bluff and threaten and deceive you into doubting that the new landlord will really take care of things. This is the situation of a Christian. Once Christ has delivered you from the power of sin and the devil, you can depend on it. The old landlord will soon come back knocking on your door. What's your defense? How do you keep him from getting that his hand over top of you? You send him to the new landlord. You send him to Jesus. See, when we are in Christ, when you are in Christ, <clears throat> Satan can't touch you. He knows it. He can't touch you. But he can try to tempt you to come out of where you're at. To make you think life was better over here in hopes that you will forget. Because he knows we will forget. We have short memories and short spans. And we, we forget about those things. We forget how bad it was. Like we look at the Egyptians and wonder, how could they ever want to go back to Egypt? Why? They forgot. Just like we do. We forget. And if we forget about what Jesus has done for us, we're more than susceptible to be drawn back in. And that's why Paul starts his letter to the Colossians the way he does. Talking about... Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Don't forget. So make sure on your New Year's resolution, yeah, you may want to lose a weight, you may want to eat healthier, you may want to do a lot of things. Number one on your list should be don't forget what Jesus has done for me. Remember and never forget. I love Paul's letter to the Colossians. I love it. It's a great, great letter. I hope it's a blessing to you. I hope you'll go home today and and read through this. Or if you are home, I hope you'll read through the letter to Colossians. Read through your Bible. Make it a point to do that throughout this whole year. It's a whole new year. Clean slate, you could say. To start fresh. Start new. Do a lot of things new, but don't forget Jesus and making him number one. I'm glad you could be here with us today. Uh, We'll have another program next week on Tuesday, every Tuesday at 4 o'clock. Here on on 1010 AM KXXT, 
You can also grab this episode and all the previous episodes on our website. Go to www.nvcoc.net and click on that radio mic. You'll find this episode. You'll find the previous shows. We worked through the, the letter of Revelation. Great study that was. And so I encourage you to open that up and take a look at that as well. Now, there's some things that are going on that are coming up here in the future. Uh, here at North Valley Church of Christ, Alex Bigham, one of our elders, is teaching a class on the, uh, the life of Paul in the book of Acts. He's doing a great job. I've heard some great things about that. I'm not in the class. I'm teaching the high school class this uh, quarter. But come on up here. Be part of that. We also are uh, uh, planning for our family retreat up at the Copper Basin Bible Camp just outside of uh, Prescott, Arizona. That's going to be happening in the month of May. If you're interested in knowing about things like that, you'll go to our website, uh, mvcoc.net, and uh, take a look there and come on over here to meet with us. We meet every Sunday and Wednesday on Sunday morning, 9.30 class. 10 uh, 10.30 is our worship service, and then we have an evening service at 5. And we meet at midweek on Wednesday at 7 o'clock here at the building for a Bible study. We're working through the, the Gospel of John. So we want to encourage you to be part of all these things. Thank you for being here. Have a blessed day, and I hope and pray that your year goes very well. Thank you all. And God bless. Lost of every nation, bring the message out. Sinning up to sweep away till shut on the better day. Bring it out. Bring it out. Bring it out. Bring it out. Till the sinful world be one for Jehovah's mighty son. Bring it out. Bring it out. Bring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.